there is no way out of our um, separation from ourselves other than by going deeper into ourselves exactly as we are now. We don't have to wait until we feel secure or when we feel good or when we feel connected or loving or joyful. It's right now in this exact state that is so hard for people to understand and to appreciate. You're listening to the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast, the show that blends science and heart to bring you evidence-based tips and tricks for cultivating a healthy, wealthy, and meaningful life. Now, here's your host, therapist, yogi, and fellow full-life balancer, Dr. Caitlin Harkis. Hi there. Welcome to Wisdom for Wellbeing. It is Valentine's Day week. I wonder what that means for you. And I get it. If you are not someone who's drawn to Valentine's Day because all of the cultural connotations around what it means and what relationship means, Yet there is one relationship that is with you your entire life through the thread of time. This is the relationship with yourself. And I am so excited to introduce you to Bethany Saltman, today's guest on Wisdom for Wellbeing and author of The Strange Situation. Bethany is an attachment expert, and what will come to light through this conversation, through this interview, is that we can cultivate a secure attachment with ourselves. We can delight. We can move to this state of inner knowing, inner authority, as Bethany calls it. So let me share a little bit more about Bethany with you. She is an author, an editor, a researcher, and her work can be seen in magazines like The New Yorker, New York Magazine, Atlantic Monthly, Parents, and many others. I first connected with her in, well, I audiobooked listening to The Strange Situation, A Mother's Journey into the Science of Attachment, which was published in April 2020 by Random House and is Bethany's first book. She is a writer by trade. It is an incredible book and a really nourishing book. It was inspired by the birth of her daughter in 2006, whom she loved dearly, but who she feared she was failing because she was still me and not the kind of mother she'd hoped to be. Her interview is going to be I think profound for anyone who has been on the parenthood journey and has felt like they're failing these little ones, these, you know, beings that they love so much from time to time, as well as being a profound interview for anyone who values relationships, including that relationship with yourself, which is where it all starts. Bethany shares about how her mother actually described this book as a love story, a love story with herself. I think that you'll agree. So let's dive in and I'll introduce you to Bethany now. Welcome, Bethany. I am so delighted to have you on Wisdom for Wellbeing, and I really appreciate you making the space to sit down and have a conversation and, yeah, to share to share your wisdom with myself and, and listeners. 
Oh my gosh, I'm so delighted to be here. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. And this is a conversation that's been in the works for a while because I've just been so excited about your book, The Strange Situation, which I actually audiobooked while laying in bed with one of my my young daughters. And it it was just this reprieve. It's a beautifully written book. And yeah, I really hope listeners are going to pick it up after the conversation today, which will be sharing more about as we flow on. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. And I guess, Bethany, just to give listeners a bit of an understanding as to who you are. And I know it's really hard to, you know, particularly having read your book to drill it down into a brief introduction, but would you mind just sharing with listeners a little bit about yourself and your passions? Sure. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. So I, um, wow, myself, my passions. Um, well, I am a writer. Um, I am someone who has been, you know, really identified with finding my way through stories, through words, through language. Um, and now I help other people with that. I, I'm also a book coach, but I'm actually really just now starting to kind of pivot, if you will, to working with people, women specifically on authority, on their inner and outer authority. Because when I look back on all the work that I've done, um, including writing the book, hugely writing my book, um, I'm really interested in how we pivot back and forth between developing an inner authority and getting outside authority and then back to inner, back to outer, back and forth, back and forth. And, and so I'm really, really interested in that. And, um, and I've found that in my attachment studies that that is actually one of the markers of a securely attached person is that they can trust themselves. So it all kind of comes full circle. That's, that's amazing. That's such a connected way of looking at it as well. This continuous cycle, this journey that we're on for the inner and outer authority, and that this is a marker of attachment and this is attachment is going to be, I have no doubt, huge in our conversation today. So would you mind actually just diving in and sharing a little bit about what attachment is, because this is so vital in terms of our well-being. you know, our relationships, it affects you know, I would say every domain of our lives, you just described it as an individual. So share more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So attachment as it is understood in the science of attachment to, which is, it's really important that we make a distinction between the way it's often talked about um, in sort of popular culture, for instance, like Dr. Sears, who talks about attachment in a very particular way that really has nothing to do with the science of attachment. And um, people can come after me for that, not you, um, if, if they so desire. But so attachment is really a, um, it's, a phys- all, it's a physiological body and mind system in every single human being, in all mammals, in all primates. And it functions in our entire bodies as a way of keeping us alive. And because human beings cannot survive alone when we're born, we are um, biologically wired to stay connected to a caregiver who will look out for us. And the currency of that connection is affection and love. And so the way that we have evolved to keep people close to us is by having them love us. 
And so it is a wild ride, as we all know. Um, you know, giving and receiving love is incredibly complicated, but from an attachment point of view, it's also extremely simple. Um, you know, I like to give the example of the child in Target. I don't know if you have Target in Australia. We but, do. Um, so this is a great example to use. Okay. <laughs> So the child who is lost in Target, you know, they, they're lost in the school supplies section or whatever, they, there will never come a time when they say, oh, well, I'm just going to stay here or, hey, that person looks nice. I'll go with her. We are hardwired to stay close in, in close proximity to our caregivers. And the way that relationship pans out, if you will, the, the dynamic between the caregiver and the child um, really influences every aspect of our bodies, our minds, our thoughts, and our experiences in the world because it is so deep and so profound. The way that it functions is through mirroring. So the way, so, you know, the quality of mirroring that we receive as babies and, you know, all through our lives is what gives us the feeling of being um, connected to ourselves. Yeah. So it's this wild mystical mirror that just goes generation after generation and that we internalize. So if our parents are, were well mirrored, they can probably mirror themselves well, they have an inner authority and then they can mirror their child well and then their child ends up internalizing that and on and on and on. And that's really the basis of the whole thing. The mystical mirror that goes down generations. Yeah. That's an incredible way of putting it. And I really love how you come back to the hard science, you know, the fact that this is hardwired, that it is physiological, that there's something you know, so evolutionarily driven about it. And this is what I find with a lot of psychological concepts. When we really dive down into what's going on, there's an evolutionary component to it. And that differentiates it from pop science. And I have read the serious books and it's funny because I remember my dad saying, this can't be, this can't be a thing. And as a new mom, you know, when this stuff is presented to you, you want to do what's, you know, right. And I'm air quoting for anyone listening right now, what's right for your baby. And I I think we get carried away by that. And that's why I think your book is so important and influential because it is based on science and data and is very practical when we learn what we can do to heal in part, you know, kind of diving into our own story. Exactly. I mean, it is data driven, but it's also very human. Mm -hmm. And of course the best data is, you know, um, and, and you're absolutely right that the way to do this work is to dive into our own story. I was just on a call before this one talking about this inner and outer authority business. And someone said, well, what if you're just totally screwed up? What if, you know, what if you were abandoned by your mother as a child? What if, um, you know, you don't trust yourself? Is there any hope for you to ever develop inner authority? And I said, of course, the, the way that you develop your inner authority is to get to know your doubter, get to know that insecure self, get to know that kid who was abandoned by his mother and who is very much alive in you now. And so, you know, that is what the science tells us. That is what every spiritual tradition tells us. There is no way out of our 
um, separation from ourselves other than by going deeper into ourselves exactly as we are now. We don't have to wait until we feel secure or when we feel good or when we feel connected or loving or joyful. It's right now in this exact state that is so hard for people to understand and to appreciate. We feel like we should be, we should be different, I suppose, right? Like you're describing kind of getting close to and holding, you know, this part of us that is hurt. And, you know, in some languaging, we could call it the shadow side, you know, in some ways damaged, but it's actually not that we're damaged or flawed. It's that we're shining light on this area and holding space for it. And that brings us into a sense of wholeness. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that is the great irony of all of our lives that when we connect intimately with our pain, our pain turns to joy. Our pain turns to light. Yeah. Joy and light. And you use in the book, the language around delight, (laughs) you know, it's actually, oh, it hits so close to home. I had a wonderful supervisor who would always talk about delight, you know, and delighting in clients, delighting in children and delight really resonated with you. Can you tell me a little bit about what it means for you? Sure. You actually seem like a very delighting person. I'm just meeting you right now, but I'm getting so much loving delight from you even over this weird zoom thing so (laughs) the joy of connection virtually yeah but you seem to you seem to have that going on for you naturally so that's that's very fortunate um yeah delight for me was really an important um thing that I learned so you know, as a new mother who felt like I was just the worst mother in the world. And that's not coming from like an ego place. It's not like, um, it wasn't that inflated sense of self that we sometimes see that like, oh, I'm just like so terrible. It really was that I, um, I was struggling. I was legit struggling. And yes, I knew I wasn't the worst mother in the world, but I saw people around me who actually weren't struggling as much as I was. Um, I was, have you seen the movie, The Lost Daughter? I haven't, but I've seen you post it on Instagram. So it's like, when I get to watch movies again, that's, that's on my radar. Yeah, well, Turn the volume should- up. Yeah, I'll put in my headphones. I'll do it. Yeah, exactly. So she talks in that movie about being an unnatural mother. And I very much felt like an unnatural mother. And I really had problems. I yelled. I um, was very impatient, a lot of frustration. It was not good. And, um, and so when I learned, when I started learning about attachment, and I thought that I had to be someone different. And when I learned that what Mary Ainsworth found was the the thing that she saw most often in securely attached pairs was this feeling of mutual delight. I thought, ooh, delight, that's something I know about. That's something I feel. And I certainly feel it about my daughter, Azalea. Um, I certainly feel it in my life. I love, you know, I'm a poet. I, I, I'm very involved in my sensorium. You know, I'm, I'm very much a fan of delight. And, and so I really resonated with that. And I, and I, and so I felt like, oh, if I can just like think more and notice more delight, it's really going to, um, 
if I know that securely attached pairs have a lot of delight going back and forth, and I know what delight is, if I just keep focusing on delight, maybe that's going to help my attachment with Azalea. So that was sort of my thinking. And, um, and this is what I tell parents all the time that, you know, if we, and it's a simple thing by focusing more on delight and trusting delight, it's really you know, a lovely, lovely way to have a relationship with your child and with yourself. That's so beautiful. And like you said, it's something we can do focus on the delight. And thank you for also sharing, you know, your struggles as well, because I think this is something that gets closed behind doors that, you know, parents feel like they can't share when they're struggling and hold the fact that they also love their children so immensely and really want to show up. So there's two beautiful offerings there. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, you know, I was so struck when my book came out and I said, oh my gosh, you're so brave. And I was like, oh God, did it seem worse? Like, should I have not said all of that? (laughs) Because I mean, to me, it was worth it. You know, anything, the work is so worth it because my daughter is worth it. And I wanted to be able to share what was going on. I certainly didn't share all of it, but the fact that people really said that a lot made me a little nervous, honestly. (laughs) <laughs> you have you have to read it but it's it's just so real it's raw and I think it's really you know your your poetry comes through your ability to delight and notice moments and capture them actually I'm sure influences your writing so immensely the other thing that's really um you know threaded through you know the strange situation as well as you know, I guess, diving into your history and story is the role of Zen. Would you mind sharing a little bit about spiritual practice for you and its relationship to motherhood? Because there's very, there's a very connected element there. Yeah, sure. So I lived in a monastery um, for two years, met my husband there and um, still, I'm still a practicing Buddhist. Um, And, you know, it's interesting. I, I, you know, I was, I was a Buddhist when I had my daughter, a practicing Buddhist. And so I felt a lot of pressure that I was supposed to be like really good at this and really good with working with my mind and all of that, which of course was not the case, but I was aware that in my own personal life, bringing awareness to whatever was hurting was the way to, you know, disperse the pain, whether it was the pain of, you know, sitting still for days and days in the meditation hall and the the knee pain, the back pain, the emotional pain, the mental anguish, you know, time and time and time, you know, time times a thousand times I saw for myself um, what happens when we bring all of our awareness or enough awareness as we can muster to a pain to a pain point. And so I had that in my tool belt. You know, I knew this, it was like utter confidence because I had experienced it so much on the cushion myself. And so when I had Azalea and, um, you know, really felt a lot of pain and anguish and and I applied my practice, I, I knew what to do, but it was still really hard. And then when I started learning about attachment and I saw that um, it was really that the that this mirroring is what the child needed, and then it just confirmed even more that I needed to mirror, continue to mirror myself 
and that this is not selfish. This is not, um, you know, being disconnected from her, that the more, the deeper I could know myself, the more I could know and mirror her. And so that's sort of how I've understood it this whole time. And the amazing thing is that, you know, the science of attachment, well, Buddhism is based on the, the, the fact that um, attachment in Buddhist terms is the cause of our suffering. In other words, when we cling, we suffer because we're going against the grain reality, which is to be constantly shifting. So in the attachment literature, it's like the, the opposite, the mirror image of that, because when we are securely attached from a psychological point of view, we are more able to let go and let other people be who they are, let ourselves be who we are, and we become less attached from a Buddhist point of view. When we practice non-attachment from a Buddhist point of view, it helps us become more securely attached from the psychological point of view. It's an incredible little sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of languaging. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, we've, so uh, secure attachment. Would you mind describing describing what secure attachment looks like? Because we're holding it as what we might be, you know, moving towards and working to cultivate. What is secure attachment as opposed to insecure attachment, if you don't mind diving in? Of course. A secure attachment simply means that a child knows where their bread is buttered. They know when <laughs> times, <laughs> times of stress, a securely attached child goes to their primary caregiver, gets soothed and returns to the business of their life, which is making a mess, playing, learning, creating, whatever it is they're doing in that stage. That's, that's what a secure attachment is. And so, you know, we don't, we are insecurely attached when time and time and time again, we are given the message that when we go for assistance, we aren't satisfied because the caregiver either can't mirror us, isn't giving us the affection that we need, isn't giving us the band-aid that we need, isn't coming down and giving us affection, you know, all of the things. But again, this is over time and time and time and time and time again. This is not, I screwed up this time. It's like, a, it's a pattern. Attachments work in patterns, not in behaviors like Dr. Sears might have you think. So this is about, um, you know, and the reason why a, a parent might behave in this pattern is because that is how they were raised themselves. So it's not that they're bad people or they're evil or they don't love their children or that their children are going to be screwed up. It's simply a matter that when the child is feeling a need or feeling stress, they're going to be less confident. They're going to have less authority, less inner authority in their capacity to get their needs met. The ability to mentalize comes from the ability to, to we learn mentalization means being able to see that you have thoughts, which is a really powerful thing. It's the difference between being carried away by your thinking and being, um, you know, having a little bit of space so that you're not completely absorbed in your, in your thoughts and your feelings. And we develop that as adults by having parents who can do that themselves 
and then can mirror us with their own full bodied attention, which we receive and we drink in like sunlight. And then we can do that for ourselves. And that is mentalization. And that is passed down through generations. And it's also called reflective functioning. Reflective functioning, ability to notice and to name what's going on internally for us and maybe what's happening externally. And what you're describing, Bethany, it isn't that, you know, we're showing up happy, happy, joy, joy for our children all the time, or that we're trying to make them feel what we might, um, again, air quotes, call positive emotions or good emotions. We're actually kind of with whatever is. And and with that coherence, that thread of coherence that could run through our lives. So noticing what was going on for us as children. And as you mentioned, that when someone has had a difficult experience, that that's not the make or break, you know, for sure, our childhood experiences will influence us. But there are things that we can do in terms of cultivating our ability to mentalize, to be with grief, pain. And, you know, you describe in this book, it almost being, you know, like, I, well, I think someone described it to you as a love story of falling in love with yourself and this experience. My mother. My mother. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect, actually. No, my mom. Yeah, and such beautiful languaging, you know, to to describe, you know, our own love story with ourselves through this experience, this practice of reflecting and getting to know our journey is that where you would suggest someone perhaps starts to, you know, cultivate more ability to notice and name, to mentalize, to reflect, to be with what is for them? Absolutely. Yep. Um, I just took a note because I, I want to do a post on the love story of a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I wanted the subtitle of my book to be, Strange Situation, <laughs> The Love Story of a Lifetime. Because to me, that's what it's all about. And um, so, yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying, you know, yes, you should learn to love yourself, but it's, that's like, who can do that? That's so hard. It's really, you just start by developing the capacity to have awareness. And I've, I've been actually reading Kristen Neff's book on self-compassion and it's really great. I really recommend it. It's interesting, yet the self-compassion literature as well, because I think, you know, self-compassion, the ability to practice self-compassion is so protective in terms of a host of mental health challenges. Like I think one of the studies she was involved in highlights that when veterans come back from war, it's not actually their exposure to combat that predicts their PTSD. It's their level of self-compassion, which is incredible, this ability to be with what is, and with the self-compassion practice, a lot of it is noticing actually the moments for suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And this is something that is accessible to everyone. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to become a Buddhist. You don't have to even meditate. There are so many ways to start to develop self-reflection. Self-reflection, self-compassion, it's all kind of coming together, isn't it? (laughs) So I'm, I'm curious as to any advice that you might then have, you know, self-compassion, you know, reflecting on one's own story. Is there anything that someone who goes, Oh, actually, you know, maybe, maybe my secure or my attachment style is insecure is not secure at this point in time. Is there anything else that you would advise those listeners to do? Well, you know, what's really funny 
is that one of the hallmarks of the securely attached adult is that they value attachment. <laughs> so um, if people are really feeling like they want to be, I mean, first of all, you won't know, you know, the, the quizzes that you take online aren't going to tell you your pattern of attachment, the way the science talks about is a very different kind of, um, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a different kind of assessment, which I'm sure has some, you know, some interesting legitimacy, but it's not the pattern of attachment that you would learn by going to the adult attachment interview and things like that. Which but, is described in your book as well. And is a very in-depth interview that people need very specific right. training to be able to administer. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, but if you are having a feeling that you want to have a stronger, more secure attachment in your life, spend more time with your relationships, you know, get off of work early and take someone out for dinner, buy someone flowers for Valentine's day, you know, um, spend more time with your children. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times, you know, it's really about like bringing this inner and outer thing together because people really say they want a more connected relationship. They want to feel secure, et cetera, et cetera. But they don't always want to do that thing, which means spending more time with people in your life. And, you know, we can't do it all. And there are only so many hours in a day. And so I really encourage people if they really feel like that's, this is something that they want, it's not rocket science. It's very, we are so, I mean, the neuroplasticity thing is so real. Um, repair is so available. We can always start over. Even if your child is an adult, there is, it is not too late to change your relationship, like ever too late, it's never too late. And so, but you have to get really real with yourself and, and give yourself like a real talking to and say, hey, I keep saying I want to do this, but I keep, you know, making other plans or, you know, other things are getting in the way and that's fine. But then, you know, there will be consequences for that. It really describes like love, which you said was the underpinning of all of this. Love is a verb then, like actually showing up and doing love rather than it just being a feeling, it can be actioned. Yep. And, and the, and the, like I said, the hallmark of the securely attached adult is that they value attachment. Reading about attachment is also a really good thing to do. If you're feeling like, you know, you don't have a lot of relationships in your life or, you know, whatever is in your way of, of, you know, building your relationships, reading about attachment is one way to value attachment and for attachment, for your attachment system to come more online. Yeah. And that's what we're looking for. That's a really practical way. So listeners right now, if you're going, wow, this sounds really interesting. And this is something that is, you know, moving something in me, <laughs> starting to read looking at the relationships that exist in your life and perhaps those relationships that feel um, 
safe, safe and healthful, kind of leaning into those is a really important place to get started and something that we can do now. And I, I know we're in the midst of a pandemic, but like there's so many beautiful ways to connect, isn't there? Even yeah. if it's not always in person, we can find ways around it. And maybe as you start to read about attachment and look for opportunities, they might present more than they would have been, you know, beneath conscious awareness. Exactly. Exactly. Because this is something, you know, I always say our attachment system is like digestion or respiration. It's in all of us, but we're not always aware of it. You know, I mean, we're sitting here breathing and digesting as we speak, but you know, how aware of it are you? And one way to become more aware of it is to learn about it. If you take an anatomy class, you're going to start to become really aware of all the things that are going on in your body, but you still need to develop a sensory experience of your physicality. And the same happens in your attachment system. Your attachment system is online, is happening all the time, but how aware of it are you? You might wanna learn first what the attachment system is, how it functions. And then with the help of a therapist or a friend or a yoga teacher or a meditation or whatever your way in is, you can start to feel all the things. Feeling all the things. <laughs> it is so important. We've got to feel the feels, the whole spectrum of them. And that's that's so vital. And I love that you mentioned those other pathways in as well. You know, and I think that this is what yoga and meditation, this ability to kind of notice what's showing up on the cushion or the mat can cultivate. And the languaging, I think, of therapy is really useful as well. So there's different ways depending on what is resonating with listeners. And knowing that it's never too late, Bethany, thank you for that. That's such an empowering and important reminder for those of us who might go, oh, well, you know, the time has passed. It hasn't passed. It's never passed, as you said. No, it has never passed. I mean, I've talked to people whose children are full-fledged adults and they've had, or or with dead people, (laughs) Yeah, you know? I mean, yeah, there's, there's, I, someone, I met was I saw someone this is before COVID. Well, I guess the book came out during COVID, but I guess we were wearing masks in the vegetable stand in my tiny town. And she said, Bethany, your book changed someone's life. And she on her deathbed read my book. I mean, this like I was done after this. On her deathbed, read my book and said, Now I know my mother loved me. Oh my goodness. No. Wow. And then she died. And so, you know, this moves in the past. We look at the future, our next lives. I mean, who knows? So, I mean, to think that something is too late. I mean, people worry that it's too late because their child is six months old. You know, we need to expand our view of what it means to be alive and you know, there's a lot going on that we aren't aware of. And so I really, really encourage people to land where they are because there's no other place to be and explore your territory because it's all you got. It's like this opportunity to transcend space and time in a way as well, isn't it? That as we make these shifts, it transforms what happened before and what could come, what could come in the future. 
So where can listeners connect with you and learn more about the amazing work you're doing, both in terms of authorship and, you know, the coaching and the guidance that you're providing as well? Yeah, well, my, um, I'm on Instagram. I just got on it during, at the beginning of COVID and that's been really fun. So please follow me there. And um, I have my website, but I'm going through a big transition right now of, um, you know, as I was talking to you a little bit about this inner and outer authority work. So I will be launching a course, um, I believe in April, April, May, like a two month pilot on working with women specifically on developing inner and outer authority. And um, so people who are writing books, launching businesses, um, you know, whatever it is that you want to do in the world as an authority and working in a sort of dialectical back and forth way between the inner authority and the the outer authority. And so, but if you're interested in that, you can go to my website and just give me your email address and I'll keep you posted. And I'm not doing one-on-one book coaching anymore because it's just, I've just got a lot going on, but I really do want to help people launch their projects and in this sort of bigger, I find it more satisfying way than just helping someone write a book proposal. That's amazing. And as you said, there's such a pairing, isn't there? Like to be able to show up, we need to have that inner sense of authority and move in to the outer authority and make that impact in the world, make that change. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Bethany, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom. And honestly, thank you for this book. I read a lot of nonfiction and this book was a treasure because you bring the science to life by interweaving your own story and your writing is just, it's brilliant. It's flawless. It's so incredible. So it's really like nourishment. And I was privileged to, to hear it in your own voice since I did. I did I loved it. So I feel like I already know you and just connecting. That's so cool. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Bethany as much as I did. I found it incredibly nourishing. I love that she really dives into the science, you know, actually talking about physiology and this evolutionary element to attachment. I am an evolutionary science nerd in terms of understanding our experience as human beings and this overlay with well-being and mental health. I also thought that our deep dive into relationships with ourselves, the sense that it's never too late to understand, to connect and build the ability to mentalize, to reflect, to notice and name what we are feeling in ourselves and in others, what power, you know, and what is this journey of self-development, but getting to know our light and our dark, so to speak, and owning this as an individual. How beautiful that this is actually what leads us to this state of security in attachment. Attachment being this lifeblood of relationship, of connection. Head to bethanysaltman.com to dive into all of her offerings. And of course, get your hands physically on a copy of The Strange Situation or the audiobook, which is read in Bethany's own voice. I found it very powerful myself. 
I wish you a wonderful Valentine's Day week. May you be your own best Valentine. And I will look forward to connecting with you in the weeks ahead. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us this week on the Wisdom for Wellbeing podcast. Please visit drcaitlin.com to connect, find show notes, other episodes, and to subscribe. While you're at it, if you find value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating or perhaps simply tell a friend about the show. Wisdom for Wellbeing is not a substitute for professional, individualized mental health treatment. If you are in crisis, please contact 000, your local emergency number if you are outside of Australia, or attend your local hospital ED.